This is All Saints Sunday. Uh, We could have celebrated it on Halloween, but I just didn't think that was the best idea. You know, because what we should do someday is actually celebrate the Halloween liturgy, which is the eve of All Saints. And maybe we will, because we have propers to do that, and uh, it's possible to have a vigil for All Saints. So we might do that sometime. So November 7th seemed to be the time. It's also one of the four times a year when we baptize, and uh, it affords the opportunity to give us a lesson about one of the places, one of the locations we look for the development of sanctity in the human person and how we understand that. So in my sermon this morning, I'm going to preach about why you'd want to be a saint, why do we, com- why do we uh, have something called the communion of saints, How do we understand sanctity and its development in our own lives? What is the purpose of the Feast of All Saints? Who are the saints uh, that we are commemorating when we celebrate All Saints Day? Uh, For English Christians, Anglican Christians, All Saints Day is a very, very important feast. Uh, And I think it's that because really we have retained the ancient understanding of what sainthood means. And that is that uh, most of us on a day like today aren't commemorating the official saints on the calendar of saints, although they're in, of course. But we're thinking about and holding close to our hearts and up to God all of those people who have had a particular impact on our life have expressed some species of sanctity that have allowed us to grow into the best human beings that we can be. And so some of these people may not even be particularly religious or they may not even be particularly um, devout, but they may be people who express the highest and best of the human character. And you know, one of the things about being saintly, one of the things about being a good Christian is being the best human being that you can be and learning what that means. And we learn it in relationship. So the healthy people and the people that have had a deep influence on us are the people that we remember. Some have died and gone to God and some may still be here. But uh, for some of us, personally, they have a saintly character that has had a deep influence on us. Now, the official saint's calendar, one of the places where uh, we know about how it began to evolve was in the Holy Roman Empire. Charlemagne, who lived in about the seven or eight hundreds. Charlemagne had an advisor a deacon by the name of Alcuin, and he was from York in England, and he ran Charlemagne's school in Aachen, in what is now Germany. Uh, Just a little something, maybe add another crease to your brain if you don't know. In the early Western Christian church, In the large churches and in the cathedrals, they had sung services every day, and you had an all-boy choir singing those services, and those services were in Latin, 
And so during the day after the church services, they had to go to school to learn some things. And one of the things they had to learn so that they could sing it was Latin grammar. And so we call them grammar schools. <laughs> That's where we got it from, grammar school. So Alcuin ran the grammar school, and he said to Charlemagne, you know, there are all of these celebrations of saints' days all over the Christian world. He meant Western, the West. And they're localized. That's the origin of the communion of saints. First it was the martyrs, and then it began to be people within individual Christian communities that we remembered together who had a particular influence, who were in some ways uh, led godly lives, lives of influence and character. And those birthdays or days of, dates of death, anniversaries, were commemorated by the local communities. And Alcuin said, we ought to have some sort of consistency throughout the Holy Roman Empire. So maybe in England, we can commemorate a saint that you commemorate here in Aachen and down in Rome and over in Paris and in Eastern Europe and various places. So why don't we create a calendar of saints that has some consistency? And Charlemagne said, make it so. And so we have one of the early calendars of saints. Charlemagne was seven feet tall. When I was on a scholarship in Rome in 1975, it was a holy year. And in the Vatican Museum, they had in a glass case the Dalmatic that Charlemagne wore. In the kings of the Roman Empire of the Holy Roman Empire and other Western monarchs, when they were coronated, when they were crowned, they had also bestowed on them deacons' orders in the church. So that meant on Christmas Day, the king read the gospel at the Christmas Mass. And so this was the vestment that the king wore for that event. It was ginormous. <laughs> it was so big, I couldn't believe it. I, I realized my history professor in college was right. He was that tall. It was huge. And they had it out there. It was a beautiful old thing. With, it was red, gold, and green all crinkly up together, beautifully made. And uh, it certainly fits somebody seven feet tall. So that's the official calendar of saints. The idea that... Uh, we, we had to wait for that, of course, isn't true, because people had some idea of what sanctity meant. In the Bible, it meant Paul may have meant uh, someone who lived before the time of Christ, and he referred to them as saints. One who could uh, be a member of the new covenant in Christ Jesus, and a synonym for the Christian faithful, so he'd write letters to all the saints in Dara. So that was one under, way to understand the sanctity. Another way to understand sanctity was somebody who's in heaven with God. You know, this may sound kind of super religious when we talk that way, but, you know, I've been a pastor for a while, and I actually have had people tell me that, uh, you know, they have conversations on a daily basis with uh, maybe their parents who have died and gone to God. They say things to them, they talk to them, you know. And these aren't people who are unhinged. 
You know, we're not people who say, don't break it in half next time, take a whole one. <laughs> you know. These are people who uh, do this because they want to somehow uh, maintain that connection and understand they had some deep influence on them. I don't mean individuals who control us from the grave. That's a whole separate issue that has nothing to do with this. I'm talking about the idea of people who have died and gone to God in some way who we wish to consult or pray to or think about in some way. So this isn't something that is detached from uh, the way human beings think and behave and relate. So when somebody said, well, uh, a saint is somebody who's in heaven with God, I think the people that you love and know and had deep influence on you, probably you do believe that, and it's true. One who would intercede for the needs of the earthly church and respond to those needs is another way to understand a saint. Or one who merited public honor and cultic recognition uh, by the community. And then that group that is known only to each of us that we hold close to our hearts and up to God. So how might I understand uh, progress in terms of sanctification? You know, the process of becoming a mature Christian, the process of becoming a mature human being has something to do with uh, how we understand this idea of sanctification. The Eastern Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, all those Orthodox churches that seem kind of mysterious to Westerners, have a, uh, a, something they talk about in the spiritual life called deification. That as we mature in the spirit, we become less unlike God. There's another word that's used and called theosis. It's the same thing. So somehow you begin to understand the truth of what Father Thomas Keating, the great writer on the spiritual life and on centering prayer, is we are not God, but our true self is God. An Eastern Christian many centuries ago named St. Athanasius of Alexandria said, God became man that we might become God. And so there is this intensity of relationship and reciprocity between the divine and human. And on All Saints Day, we celebrate that. So when you're thinking about progress, what would be some of the places that you might look to say, well, maybe things are, I'm beginning to get it. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are things called the fruits of the Spirit. At baptism, we receive three virtues that are infused into the human soul at baptism. Faith, hope, and love. So as we begin to live and to wish to appropriate those things, if those become easier for us, uh, even for a little while and not so much again, and then a little while again, we're actually uh, making some spiritual progress with regard to how we understand what that might mean. So as we continue, give thanks to God for all of the people in your life 
who have had a particularly powerful impress on your character. Give thanks for their sanctity. Give thanks for the opportunities you may have had in your life to be for someone else one of those people and to have been able in some way to have them as a result move in a more godly direction and by virtue of that have, uh, you know, increased your humility for being an instrument of God's grace in the world. Let me say something finally about the gospel you heard from Luke. This is Luke's version of the Beatitudes. It's different than Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. It's probably the more primitive of the two uh, sources of this uh, true saying of Jesus, both in Matthew and in Luke. And the blessings in Luke are accompanied by woes. Woe to those. Well, rather than worry about this and worry about that you're in the woe side of things, think about smugness and complacency. That's what this gospel is about. And the Savior is warning people that they need not be smug and complacent, that it is not the best thing in the world to be. Uh, One of the great people uh, who who writes about human relationships, Edwin Friedman, he died about 10 years ago, said, when things are going well for you, watch out. (laughs) You know? So it may not be a good idea to be too complacent about how our lives are going and also about whatever group or class we identify ourselves with that we think uh, have the right perspective. I hate to admit this to you. I grew up in a typical American middle-class family who believed that they could or could not understand why everybody else would not want to be like them. (laughs) It was an astounding thing that somebody would choose not to think about and do as they did. You know? It's a dangerous place to be spiritually. Sometimes it's apparently innocent, and other times you become as the result of the confusion that uh, happens when things don't go the way you think they ought to go. You're like one of Abraham Lincoln's generals that he described was a duck who had been hit over the head. You know? You wake up and say, what was that all about? So give thanks to God for the people in your life who have helped you not do that. Amen.